Okay, our passage today is a, is a long one. Mark 6, verse 7 to verse 32. So a longer chunk that we're going to go through uh, today. And it ends in verse 30 with this statement. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. The apostles returned to Jesus and told them all that they had done and taught. It's actually only one of two times in the whole book of Mark that Mark refers to the disciples as the apostles. We've already actually studied the first instance in Mark chapter 3, where it says that Jesus went up to the mountaintop, called to himself those who he desired, and they came to him, and he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Okay, so these men, these 12 disciples, they had come to Jesus so that he might turn them into apostles. And the next few chapters of Mark, uh, Jesus's attention will now turn more exclusively towards his men. He's going to prepare these apostles to follow him with their lives. So this whole study that we've been in, in the Gospel of Mark, I've called it follow the servant savior because every believer is invited to follow Jesus in a life of discipleship. And as we watch Jesus train his apostles, we also can be trained. So that's really what we're going to look at over the next few weeks and even months, this training section in the book of Mark. As Jesus trains them, we also can be trained by Christ. Now, an apostle is an ambassador who has been sent out to convey a particular message. And most of these men eventually ascended into the actual office of apostle in the church in that they were sent out with the gospel message, but also beyond just preaching the gospel, they oversaw the establishment of the church and the writing of the New Testament scriptures. Okay, but in the episode in front of us, they're not going to establish the church and they're not going to write scriptures. Instead today, they're just going to obey Jesus in doing things that every believer since their time should be concerned with. The preaching of Jesus' message and the establishment of his kingdom here on earth. So Jesus is going to train them here for their future work by sending them out two by two. And they will then return to Jesus to report to him about everything they had done and taught. And sandwiched in the midst of their journey, Mark is going to record the tragic death of John the Baptist. He's the greatest prophet that ever lived. And Mark will place the sordid details of John's last days right here in the middle of the apostles' missionary work. And I think he does it on purpose. You see, the disciples and every reader of the book of Mark needed to know the difficulty of serving on Team Jesus. Jesus's kingdom collides with the kingdoms of this age, including a king named Herod. So today in this passage, we're going to consider what it's like to serve Jesus. 
something that every believer is meant to do. Remember Ephesians verse chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. When Jesus ascended, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints, the believers, for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. You see, what the church does and what the church stands for is not only what occurs on platforms and in pulpits and at altars throughout the world. No, it's, it's us. It's you. It's me. Throughout the days and weeks and months and years of our lives, we are meant to work on Team Jesus. Even if we never serve inside of a church sanctuary, we get to serve the greatest king and the most powerful and wonderful of kingdoms. We are meant to be a great gift from God's heart to our communities. And the passage in front of us will help us learn how. So let's begin by reading verse 7 through 13. It says, And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if in any place they will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So, verse 12, they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Okay, we often... Think, I think, of the disciples as a bumbling group who densely followed Jesus around and were really only awakened once the Spirit came in the book of Acts. But this story shows us that these men were actually further along than we might think. You know, were they confused about what the kingdom looked like? Yes. Uh, were they often prideful or foolish or prejudiced? Yes. Uh, but were they growing? Yes, absolutely, it seems so. And here in this passage, Jesus sent them out two by two, teaching them the importance of serving with other people. You're not to do ministry by yourself, but with others. And Mark says that Jesus deposited his authority, verse 7, into his men. That's an important development. And as these men rode the authority and ability of Jesus... They proclaimed repentance, cast out many demons, and healed many who were sick. Okay, now Jesus had been busy preaching the kingdom and also confronting the demonic realm and also healing the sick. And now the apostles are doing the same things that Jesus had been doing in the first five chapters of Mark. They were doing what Jesus had done. And once Jesus rose from the dead and ascended back to glory, these same men would, with many other men and women, go out as Christ's representatives here on earth. And, and in this episode, they began learning that they would serve as extensions of Jesus. That's the first thing I want you to see today about serving on Team Jesus. You have to, number one, see yourself as an extension of Christ. See yourself as an extension of Christ. 
You see, the church is Christ's body. We are his people. We're his kingdom. The disciples uh, were extensions of Jesus. And in a similar way, so are we. You've got to see yourself as an extension of King Jesus as you live out his kingdom principles here on earth. And I wanted to just give you a handful of suggestions on how to see yourself as an extension of Christ. Here's one great thing to do. Ask people how they are doing. Ask people how they are doing. According to the New Testament, we are a kingdom of priests. The Old Testament priests were supposed to be concerned with other people, uh, wanting to help them commune with God. So like a priest, learn to be concerned with others. And one way to cultivate this is to sincerely ask people with many follow-up questions, how are you doing? Another thing is to offer to pray for people. This is a simple way to live as an extension of Jesus. People around you are hurting. And quite often a simple, I'm praying for you or can I pray for you, will help lighten their load and demonstrate the love of Christ. But also be a conduit of peace. Be a conduit of peace. You see, during this time of division and hostility and complaint and anger and fear, believers should be calm and hopeful and loving. Our hope is in Christ and we should project quiet confidence and determination that our world often lacks. Though these feel like perilous times to many of us, we know that God is on the throne. He can redeem this terrible mess. He can use it for his purposes. So let's act like it. And also look for opportunities to express the hope you have in Christ. You know, this might be as simple as responding to a trial by saying, as a Jesus follower, I trust that he is going to help me get through this time and have wisdom. Or it might be as robust as sharing the full gospel message with someone that you know. But look for those opportunities. And lastly, before moving on, live a holy life. And as we saw last week, there is no life that will be holy enough to lead others to Jesus. Even Jesus's life in Nazareth didn't convince the Nazarenes. But don't do the gospel harm by persisting in unconfessed and overt sinful attitudes. It's one thing to confess, apologize, and grow. That's beautiful. It's quite another to persist in unrepentant unholiness. Okay, but a second thing that I wanted you to see about serving on Team Jesus is this. Number two, you have to be reliant on and content in Christ. Reliant on and content in Christ. Uh, notice in the passage we read the way that Jesus sent these men out two by two. In later chapters, like in Luke chapter 22, Jesus will tell them to bring swords and bring money and bring extra clothing. But in this first mission, Jesus wanted them to pack really light. No bread, no extra gear, no money. The only things they were to bring were a staff and sandals and one cloak. 
uh, with clothing and gear similar to the Israelites when they fled from Egypt on the night of the Passover, the disciples were supposed to be free to quickly move out into the new work that God had for them, a, a quick strike force, if you will. And on top of packing light, they were also to remain with whoever offered to host them as long as they were in each town. You know, in other words, if a better offer came along while they were doing work in a specific town, uh, they were to reject that better offer or better accommodations and remain in the humbler place. All this was meant to teach them to be reliant on and content in Christ. And just as God took care of their needs then, providing enough for their mission, so he will provide enough for us on our mission today. You know, it might require that we're content with less than our flesh would prefer, but he wants us to be reliant on him today. While serving Jesus, we will receive everything we need for the mission. Listen to this from Matthew 6, verse 33. The condition is this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's what we must do. That's the condition of the promise that follows, which says, and all these things will be added unto you. You see, God is the one who fuels our service to him. We need the power of God. We need the grace of Christ, and we need the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be effective. So we've got to lean on him, reliant on and content in him as we do his work. All right, let's move on in our passage, though, to see of that death of John the Baptist. It says, King Herod, verse 14, heard of it. In other words, he heard of the work that Jesus' disciples were doing throughout the world. For Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. This is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he's Elijah, and others said he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. So here, as the disciples went out, uh, as extensions of Jesus, notice who got the credit. Jesus got the credit. Herod and others heard about Jesus and his works. People came to all kinds of conclusions about Jesus at that time. Some said he was Elijah, others said he was another prophet, and others said that he was John the Baptist. And we'll consider all of these conclusions when we get to Mark chapter 8 because Jesus will visit those conclusions in his conversation with his disciples. But when Herod heard about Jesus, he concluded that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. You see, he felt guilty for beheading John, and now he thought that John had miraculously returned to life. So with that, Mark then begins to recount John's story about the way that he died. It says in verse 17, For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, 
knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. Okay, this story uh, is about Herod Antipas. There's a lot of Herods in the Bible. This is Herod Antipas, the second of four rulers in the New Testament who have the name Herod. Uh, time really prohibits us from unraveling the complexity of Herod's family. This Herod is the, Her is the son of Herod the Great, the one that murdered the babies in Bethlehem. And because Herod the Great had 10 wives, and because his descendants were often involved in divorce and incestuous relationships, their family tree is super complicated. Here's one scholar trying to describe it. Just see if you can follow along. Herod the Great had 10 wives, Herod Antipas being the son of the fourth wife, Malphase. Herodias was the daughter of Aristobulus, Antipas's half-brother, who was murdered by the father of Herod. Herodias was thus a granddaughter of Herod the Great through his second wife, Miriam I, and hence a niece of Herod Antipas. Is that any clearer for you? <laughs> okay. The bottom line of this is that Herod had enticed his brother's wife, Herodias, away from his brother. And so John the Baptist was preaching to him, saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Okay, this was the message that landed John in prison. Now, the passage says that Herod wanted to keep him alive while Herodias, his wife, wanted him to die. Okay, but let's go on in the story in verse 21. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias's daughter came in and danced, and this likely indicates a seductive kind of dance, she was probably about 15 years old, so this speaks to the perversion of that time and that group, it says that she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. Now this was meant as an expression. He really didn't have a kingdom. He was just a, a leader in that area under Rome's power and authority, but it was an expression. I'll give you anything you want within reason. And she went out, verse 24, and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. All right, this whole movement, it's meant to shock us you guys. I mean, this actually happened. What is so shocking for the reader of Mark's gospel 
about this story? Well, it's not necessarily the graphic nature, but, but something else. You know, I don't know that Mark's first intention is that we would be warned from Herod's life about the perils of drunkenness or the perils of pride. Those, those are great applications of this particular text. But Mark, remember, started his book with John and his radical prophetic work out in the wilderness of Judea. John preached, John baptized, and John spoke of the coming Messiah Christ and his kingdom. And then one day, he baptized Jesus himself and heaven split open and God in spirit form came down upon Jesus. Then Jesus joined John and began declaring the kingdom. The kingdom of God, they both proclaimed, is at hand. And after all of Jesus' miracles and all of Jesus' messages, even to the point that he's able to send his men out to do what he'd been doing, his forerunner, John the Baptist, he dies. At the hands of another kingdom, the kingdom of God's prophet is brutally murdered. And Mark wants us to know about it. And he wants us to know about it right here in the midst of the apostles' missionary journey. While they were out there winning, John took the loss. Or did he? This leads me to the third thing that you should know about serving on Team Jesus. Number three, know this. In Christ's kingdom, winning looks weird. In Christ's kingdom, winning looks weird. Remember what Jesus said all the way back in verse 11? We read it previously. He told his disciples, And if in any place they will not receive you and will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. This was Jesus' way of saying that they had to move on when, not if, but when they were rejected. Their job was not to make converts, but to be faithful. They would do their part, but God would do his. And the people they preached to had their own decisions to make. They would plant, others would water, but God would give the increase. But in Christ's kingdom, winning often looks weird. John won. The apostles Nearly all of them martyred, won, and generations of the church persecuted and harassed and marginalized, won. You see, at times it's hard to see it this way, and the pain, it's very real. And in a moment, we'll watch Jesus encourage a time of rest for his disciples by breaking away into a desolate place for rest and a time to recuperate. But Matthew tells us in Matthew 14, verse 13, that part of the reason that Jesus wanted to get into a desolate place was because he himself had heard the news of John's death. It saddened him. The news didn't catch Jesus off guard, but it did hurt Jesus. 
You see, serving Jesus, it's a wild experience. You know, you die like John did, but you live. You lay down your life, but you find your life. You give your soul and you gain something more than this world. You see, contrary to the message that the prosperity gospel preachers try to spoon feed this world, the truth is more complicated. Serving Jesus is painful at times, but so often in the persecution and in the hurt and in the struggle, in the troubled waters, Christ is winning for his people, making way for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. And it seems that the disciples needed to hear, Mark's gospel readers needed to hear of this story of John's death so that they would not become disillusioned when in their work for Christ, they endured hardship, persecution, poverty, and even death. All right, let's conclude by reading the last three verses of our passage today. It says in verse 30, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. I love this. Mark concludes this section by doubling back to the apostles' story. He leaves John and comes back to these apostles who'd gone out two by two. They come back to Jesus and they give him an exciting report about everything they'd done and everything they'd taught. I wish I could see their faces, you know, all of the excitement. We did this and we did that. And one day, we're going to do something similar, brothers and sisters. We also are going to give an account of our lives as believers unto the Lord. Not to gain or lose salvation, that's secure because of the work of Christ and our faith in him that has led to our justification. But as a way for us to report back to our commander in chief, to hear his words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter in to the joy of the Lord. And Jesus here followed up with an invitation to get into or to go into a desolate place for a time of rest. This little bow ride that they were going to take was meant to be a way of escape, a time for some leisure, it says in verse 32. As a man in the midst of a crazy uh, and pressing time of ministry life, I mean, that's what it's been the last few months. This has been a very different kind of season of ministry. Uh, when I read about Jesus taking his disciples to a deserted place for leisure and for rest, you know, the boat, the lake, the whole thing, I can't help but think about my beloved shores of Lake Tahoe calling me for some leisure and calling me for some rest. And here, that's what Jesus did for his disciples. He offered this rest to his men a way of escape, a time to recharge and get healthy for the fight once again. 
And this leads me to the last and closing point I'd like to make today. On Team Jesus number four, you must let Christ serve you. You must let Christ serve you. You see, serving Jesus can be tiring work. So you must allow Jesus the time and the space to serve you. For me, this is one of the reasons that I often highlight the importance of personal quiet times before God. You see, I can't imagine serving Jesus without times to sit at Jesus' feet and let him minister to my mind and heart and soul and spirit. I also see this principle of having an effect on the way that we structure our lives. You see, too many in an attempt to explore the freedoms of New Testament Christianity have thrown out the principle of the Old Testament Sabbath. But having a day each week to stop working, to rest, and have leisure and be with those you love, it's a great way to go. It'll lead to great health in your life. And from time to time, like these guys did with Jesus, get away if you can. Whether through a church retreat or conference or a personal vacation, we all need times of refreshment. We need life to slow down so we can get refocused for the season to come. You know, as an example of this, I've known a few people who have made major life decisions during this coronavirus shutdown. And it was all because they stopped for a season. They were forced to, but they stopped for a season. And in the stopping, they were able to reconsider their direction in life and hear the voice of their good shepherd calling them in a unique way. And they made decisions they likely wouldn't have if they hadn't got some forced rest. You see, when you live with Sabbath rhythms, you can work extremely hard with intense focus, but also know how to enjoy the people around you. You become balanced as Christ serves your soul. So let's allow Jesus to reshape the way we think about serving him. It's hard work, but it's good work because we get to be his representatives here on earth. And in the service of Christ, we will learn about dependence upon Jesus and contentment, which is of infinite value in life. I mean, if I could do one thing to you that would make your money stretch like never before, it would be to deposit into your heart the secret of contentment. And we also learn that pain is involved in this passage because John's death teaches us that much, but it also teaches us that victory is coming. And at the end of our days, when we report to King Jesus, he will bring us into his eternal rest. And he loves to give us a taste of that rest today. So let's commit to serving him. God bless you, church. I hope to see you very, very soon.